You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We are starting a new series on the book of Acts, which we're calling Unhindered. The reason it's called Unhindered is because the last verse of the book of Acts talks about how the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, and he is going out, and he is pre- or he's teaching. People are coming to him, and he's continuing to teach, and, it, and the word of God goes out unhindered. You'll find some translations that even say that in the last verse, unhindered, without hindrance. And that's the work that God has called us to as the church, even now in 2018, that we are going out to bring Jesus to people, and that it's still moving by the power of the Spirit in a manner that is unhindered. And so we will not go over the course of the fall through every single verse of Acts. We were gonna go over a lot of them though, but like next week, you're gonna have to hear almost all of chapter two, which is Peter's speech on, in Pentecost, and that's a lot. So just buckle up because we're gonna have to go through the whole speech. Then the next week, we get to go through Acts 2, 42 through 47, the new community, and then we get to kind of breathe again. So we're gonna run hard sometimes, and then we're gonna slow down, um, and all of that is to expose us to what God is doing through the early church as the Spirit comes in. And we start today with the first 11 verses, and I just, I just have to ask this, or maybe state it, aren't distractions everywhere? Everywhere, everywhere. I read this from TechCrunch about even Netflix, that an average Netflix account watches in a year 480 hours of Netflix. That seems low, or maybe I'm just bringing it up. 480 hours, over an hour a day, if you just do it like that, of Netflix consumed per account. And so I I wonder, like, do we really need to do all of that? That doesn't include Amazon Prime. Right, and all of you who are watching Jack Ryan, that doesn't include HBO Go. That's just Netflix, an hour a day. I mean, we can find ourselves distracted rather quickly. Distractions just in life, distractions at work. Email is the worst. People email you and it feels like a fire has just been lit in your lap and you have to put it out. And you were headed in a direction and then all of a sudden you are derailed. And you're not just derailed for the response to the email, like you have to disengage from what you were doing and then think about how you're gonna reply and then reply and then re-engage in whatever you were doing if you had enough time. It really is a pain. In life, our family life, I think of our kids and sometimes some of the pressure that we put on them to perform at a certain level that we have to compare. And so you gotta do really well because I want other parents to think I'm a good parent. We kind of put that pressure upon them and we get distracted from just raising children to like raising A students. Well, the goal is not to raise A students. The goal is not to raise B students or C students or D students, but to raise people to know and love the Lord. And so we still get distracted by those things. They're everywhere and they're really like vampires. I mean, they just kind of suck any productivity or life that you have. And you get done with a day. I mean, you don't have to raise your hands because I trust that all of you would. But you ever get done with a day and you just go, where did it go? Where did it go? Then you get done with a week. You go on vacation and you come back and you need another vacation to recover and you don't even know what you did. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, the same things are evident for us. We have distractions that surround us day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We are always being distracted by things. I call them preferences and rabbit trails. 
Preferences and rabbit trail. So preferences, well, I like churches that. I walked in here this morning and it was an icebox. Preference. Some people are like, this is awesome. I don't have to sweat in church. I'm just like, this is freezing. It is cold. But it seems like the battle for the thermostat exists within every church that has an AC. It's too hot, it's too cold. Some of the comments I get the most about church life are about air conditioning. Could you turn it up? Could you turn it down? I am always cold. I'm like, well, I'd rather be cold than hot. I guess, because you can at least bundle up. But if you're hot, that's gross. <laughs> Preferences. Well, I like it like this. I like music like this. I like songs like that. I like preaching like this. I like stories like this. I like my ministries like that. And we have all these preferences that kind of build up our life. And we can get obsessed about them, can't we? And at the same time, we have rabbit trails. Things that the Lord has told us are not the most important, and yet we are going to put them up like 1A of the, the thing we must know about. Hey, what's your view on X, Y, Z? Hey, how do you feel about this? What do you think about that? Rabbit trails, and then we just go down that forever. And I don't do well with rabbit trails, but if you're having a conversation with me, this is coaching, because we don't know each other very well yet. Uh, you just have to go, hey, this could be a rabbit trail. You don't have to answer it if you don't want, and I'm good. Because if we head, like, head down a rabbit trail, you might seem to be like, I, I really don't want to do this. You know, because it doesn't get us anywhere. You get done with the whole conversation, and you've bantered back and forth, and then you're like, what did we, what did we do? What did we talk about? What edification actually existed here in that moment? And the answer is usually little to none. Well, as we get into our text today, we'll see the same thing. The first 11 verses of the book of Acts, where the disciples think that a thing that is important becomes the most important. And Jesus goes, no, that's not the most important. I want you to know what is. It has to do with uh, the return when he returns, how he returns, what happens. And so uh, with that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter one, and we will go through the first 11 verses. And what we're gonna see are just kind of three movements. Jesus's ministry on earth after his resurrection, before his ascension. So after he rose, but before he left, he had ministry on this earth. Then we'll see what he says to the disciples because of their rabbit trail that they're trying to take him down and he just doesn't even give anything to it. And then we have for us then, how do we respond to that? So we'll start just very quickly, Acts chapter one. This is written by Luke, who was not one of the disciples, but a follower of Jesus. He was involved with the missionary journeys of Paul. You'll find that later in the second missionary journey that Luke joins up. So he was a follower of Jesus, but he wasn't one of the original guys that Jesus called. But he's still an incredibly important guy in the ministry that goes on. And he's a researcher. And so the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are two things together, kind of volume one and volume two of what he has. And he says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. First idea in those five verses is this, is that Jesus' ministry after his resurrection proves he's not finished with his work. And he kept teaching and presenting himself, speaking about the kingdom of God, presented himself alive, after his suffering by many proofs. Just the fact that he was there ministering was his way of going, I am alive. 
I'm here. And so a resurrected Jesus, 40 days on earth after his resurrection, is teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. He's showing them what's going on. He's letting them know what to expect. And he reminds them that the Holy Spirit is going to come not many days from now in verse five. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, that comes in Acts chapter two. Not many days from now would be 10 days after his ascension. So not many days from now, he then sends the Holy Spirit from the Father to the church. Now Jesus has taught about the Holy Spirit before. In the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, he gives reference to the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? And how does the Holy Spirit act? And and how does it convict? And it convicts the world of sin. And it shines a light on Jesus. And now his ministry has ended, or is ending, and he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit, which then pivots the attention or the work of the book of Acts. Because the bulk of the book of Acts is not about Jesus' earthly ministry but the Spirit's ministry through the church. Chapter two onward is the continued ministry of God through the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is promising this. And he already spoke of this before his crucifixion and before his resurrection. He was saying the Spirit's gonna come, receive the Holy Spirit. This is what the Spirit's gonna do. And so for us, just for a moment, as even we think about those first five verses, this is what I would love for us to do. Take comfort because God is in control to take comfort because God is in control. The things that Jesus says he will do, he does every time. This is what's gonna happen. This is what the Spirit's gonna do. Let me minister to you and teach you about the coming kingdom and let me show you what what God is doing and what God will do and the Spirit's gonna come not many days from now and this is what he is saying and it comes to pass every single time. We can be encouraged, be comforted, because God is in control. We get pretty worried about life, don't we? What's gonna come, what's happening tomorrow, Labor Day festivities that are all here, one of the biggest um, distractions that we'll have, our holidays and our parties, and college football season, which kicks off tonight with LSU versus Miami. Everything gets us distracted. And what does Jesus do as he teaches? He's teaching about the kingdom. He's teaching about the kingdom and he's encouraging the disciples and he's reminding them of the work that he said is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus cannot get rabbit trailed, but the disciples are going to try. In the next few verses, they, they try to bring to the top of their theological system what they think is most important and Jesus redirects it. Verses six, really six through nine. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you You, this is the verse your kids are memorizing all month of September. You you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
so they're continuing to talk. And disciples, they're putting pieces together. The promise of the kingdom that God is gonna bring and he's gonna restore everything, that's an important part of how the Jewish faith is constructed. That God gave his people promises and he is fulfilling those promises. So it would make sense when Messiah's there that they would say, is everything gonna be restored now? Because that was a hope that they had. In fact, Isaiah 49.6 says it this way in one of the servant songs of Isaiah. It, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So we're not talking in the Jewish faith about a matter that is you know, the 10th or 11th or 12th or 13th or 14th most important. This is a significant part of how their worldview was constructed. And so they ask him a question that you could get caught up on. The question was not, the concern was not about the restoration of the kingdom. That was gonna happen. The question was about the timing of the, re of the restoration of the kingdom. Is this the time that you're gonna do the thing that we read is to be said? Jesus doesn't tell them in that, in verse seven, he doesn't say to them, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the kingdom coming back. That's not really of your concern, right? That was just a matter of theology from back in the day that we kind of gave to Israel so that they would not you know, do bad things. He doesn't say that. It is an expected part of what God is doing that he is gonna right every wrong and restore this world. New heaven, new earth. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. We see what God restores. But he doesn't say, don't worry about that. He goes, the timing is not for you to be concerned about. The timing is not, concern, is, not for your, is not your concern. And so we can spend a ton of time making charts. When's the Lord gonna return? Is it gonna be right here? Is it gonna be right here? Uh, if we had a dollar for every time somebody said God is going to return at X time, we would have no debt. I mean, we would be sending missionaries galore everywhere, just like, sure, you wanna go? Here's a million dollars, go reach, like, it doesn't matter because everyone tries to predict, even though Jesus himself goes, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Now, why not worry about it? Because again, it's an issue that's important. So over here, there's the restoration of the kingdom. He goes, the timing is not for you to be concerned about. And then what does he do? But he takes their attention and goes, so instead of focusing on the timing, let me tell you what you can focus on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, verse eight. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Sumeria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Don't worry about this, the timing. Focus on what's most important. Jesus' expectation is not that they worry about timing, but that they realize what he's doing. Spirit's gonna come upon you, and then you, church, will be my witnesses. You will testify, you will speak of what is going on, not just here in Jerusalem, but you will follow it to the ends of the earth. And in fact, if you follow the book of Acts, you will see that trajectory. It ends with what at that time was the known world. We are going and we are bringing Jesus out and it's continuing to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people who have not heard. This is why the Apostle Paul was so convinced and convicted that he would not build on another one's foundation. 
I don't want to preach Christ where people have already heard about him. That's not my ultimate concern. I want to preach Christ where people have not heard about him. That was his burden. And when we see that burden in people, we need to encourage it. We need to fan it to flame. We need to pray for it and celebrate it. Because the thing that might happen sometimes is we use the phrase, well, aren't good churches needed everywhere? And the answer is yeah. But I would rather have a good church where there's no churches than a good church where there's 700 good churches. If I just had to pick, I would rather bring the church to the place where no one has heard the name of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is going. You will be my witnesses. And right now, there are no churches. So everywhere you go, you preach. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, go and go and go, and he makes it clear to them. And yet they don't always do it. We don't always do it. For those of you in here who work outside the home, even inside the home, really, does anyone like knowing what they're supposed to do? You like having a job description? Even in marriage, like, am I supposed to do that or are you? Even like, like when I do premarital counseling, I have to help people go, okay, just talk about who's responsible for what because you're gonna get bugged when you assume it and you're wrong. I thought you did that. Well, why? Because my mom always did that. Your wife's not your mom. Doesn't matter. So, so just the talking about what we are supposed to do is important. People who work, they go, if I just had a clear job description, who do I report to? What do I do? How do I work? What do you expect from me? Those are questions we always ask, aren't they? What do you expect from me? And once we have that clarity, it is so freeing, isn't it? Okay, good, like I'm not walking around aimlessly going, oh gosh, I hope I'm doing the right thing, I hope I'm doing the right thing. And yet, flip that and put it into the life of the church. We spend so much time asking God, well God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? How would you like me to serve? Where do you want me to focus? What is important to you? How can I do the same things? And we spend all this time seeking it out, and so when it's like prayers, you know, as we're sharing our prayer request, pray for wisdom for my future and decision making. I go, let's just be sure that we're at least focusing on the things Jesus has made clear. We don't have to worry about the things that Jesus has not made clear, perhaps because he doesn't want us to be overly concerned about it. But there are things he has made incredibly clear. You will be empowered when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. That seems pretty clear. But what do we do? It's cold in here. It's warm in here. Why do you preach like that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you guys dress like that? Why are you concerned about those things? And what happens, right? We get kind of down in the weeds and we start focusing on other parts of our faith that are not significant in regards to what Jesus has made abundantly clear. We go, witnesses? Ah, it seems hard. Maybe even a little embarrassing to talk to people about Jesus, to put myself out there. Yeah, okay, I don't think that you're gonna do more than he did, which was die for you while you were still a sinner. So yeah, I think putting yourself out there is okay. I don't know, I just, but that's a lot. You're asking a lot of me. Yeah, of course, your life. But wouldn't you rather spend your life following Jesus than spending your life following your own desires, which change all the time? Who hasn't changed? Our Lord. We fight against the idea 
But sisters and brothers in the room this morning, God has given us not just a way he wants us to operate as a church, but he has even given us the power to do it. It's not like we have to go, okay, well, I really wanna do that, God. Now can you make it possible? He supplies both the vision and the means to accomplish it. Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and and then you will be my witnesses. He's given us these things to bring the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation while we wait for his return. While we look for it and long for it and pray toward it, not knowing when it's gonna happen, but that that motivates how we live because we know he is returning and we know that time is short. And so we focus on what matters most, not what matters least. We make decisions about what matters most, not what matters least. We spend time together so that we can spur one another on towards these things. I so often forget the things that God has asked of me and the things that God has asked of us, even though he has made it clear. So we gather. We gather and we remind ourselves of these things week after week and we gather in our community groups week after week because I hear it once, I'll still forget. Hear it again, I'll probably still forget. So we keep gathering and we keep going to the scriptures and we keep praying and we keep serving and we keep going, God, what are you wanting for us to do? How are you wanting us to serve? How can we reach this world for your name and for your glory? Until you return. How can we stay focused day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year if God does not supply the energy? I have to fall asleep at least once a day. Sometimes twice, three times, four times. It just depends. The Lord has never been distracted. The spirit has never gone down a rabbit trail. So if our desire is not to see the ends of the earth worship a risen Jesus, it's not the spirit's fault. It's not like the spirit's going, oh yeah, I forgot about that, I kinda got busy. I was watching YouTube videos. It's our flesh rallying and fighting against what we know is true. Trying to distract us and keep us from what is most important. Giving us little things that are so attractive in a worldly sense and keeping us from what is abundantly clear. The name and fame of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what we should be delighting in. That's what we should be serving toward. That's how we should be encouraging one another. And yet look at what happens. Verses 10 and 11 as that goes on. So Jesus goes up into the clouds. He's gone. I mean, have you ever followed a balloon? You let go of a balloon and your kids are like, well, let's watch the balloon. And it just kind of goes on and on and on and on until you can't see it anymore. So the balloon's gone, right? There's Jesus. He's not really a balloon. Don't worry. And so Jesus is going, and then they're gone, and they're just staring like uh, the jet stream off of a plane. Well, the plane's gone, but it's just kind of cool to look. And what happens immediately? I mean, if I were to grant the disciples a little bit of grace, it would be staring into the sky after Jesus ascended. 
That seems like an okay thing to go, we're gonna give him a couple of minutes because that was kind of cool, it's only happened once. But they don't do that. The moment Jesus goes and ascends, what happens? While they were gazing into heaven, as he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I have a good answer for that. Guy who rose from the grave just started floating up. We have never seen that before. Kind of distracting and kind of cool. But what do they say? Why are you doing this? I mean, already, if there were that moment to be okay with it, that was the moment. And already, what are the angels doing but going, he's coming back. Why are you worried about this? Why are you staring at this? He's coming back. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Get to work. That's what I hear. Get to work. There's limited time. Limited time, and we only have so much of it on this world, in this earth, so why are you staring? Jesus is coming back. Now, Earthly Hans, if I just kind of put that hat on, I go, I get it, angels. I get it. Can you grant me a couple of moments to think that was cool? Just a few. But they're already. Go. Wait for the Holy Spirit. That's what God said is going to happen next. Jesus has ascended. Go wait, Jesus said, not many days from now. So the warning for us in that is to guard against those distractions. To guard our hearts against those distractions. To maybe even not allow ourselves at times to get caught up in things that are insignificant to perhaps take a preference and put it aside, to not track down every rabbit trail in your community group, as fun as that is. Because at the end of the day, Jesus has made some things abundantly clear. And he never minces words. He never has you try to guess, well, did he really, did he really mean that we're gonna be empowered? Did he really mean that it was gonna happen that way? Did he really want us to focus on those things? Yes, he did. He always means it. There is one person in this world who you can always count upon, and it is Jesus. There's one word in this world that is true, and it is the spirit-empowered scriptures that we read every single week. It is the only trustworthy source that we have. I talk sometimes about the yeah buts and the really means. Yeah, but what about this? Or, well, what it really means is, and there's no yeah, but, or really mean with that. It says what it says, but do we care? Are we concerned? about the fact that Jesus has said we will be those things. And so when I think of response, I think for me and for us, it boils down to this. Trust the Spirit to work through you to be a witness to the world. Trust is a hard thing for many of us. We don't wanna trust one another. 
We really don't like trusting God at times because we don't want to, we, we know our limited world and the things that are within it. And so when we go trust God, it's like, yeah, no thanks, I'm good. I've been let down by enough people, creator of the world, don't want to do that one. So when I say trust the spirit to empower you to be a witness to the world, well, that, that, that doesn't seem like a safe thing. It's not. It's not a safe thing. But at Genesis, we're not concerned about being safe. Playing it safe gets us nowhere. It doesn't help us. But it sure does make us feel good. End of the day, we're kind of fat and happy and we're enjoying just kind of our little quibbles with one another about stuff and we have lost the fact that people every single day don't know the Lord, that he has empowered us with the message that will save and yet we get distracted all the time. And it's not just a message for adults. This message can so powerfully brought by you, children and youth in the room to bring Jesus to your friends, to proclaim how good he is. It's for you too. Distractions aren't just for people 18 and up. It can be 15 to 18, 12 to 13, 19 and 11. Every single age has every single kind. The moment you place your faith in Jesus, Acts 1-8 applies. It applies to you even if you don't trust Jesus because you're on the other side. And we want you to know him. And so perhaps even the Spirit is prompting you today to trust the Lord Jesus that you have controlled your life, you have thought that that is gonna be where joy is gonna be found, where hope is gonna be found, where love is gonna be found, and you have been let down. Trust Jesus. Ask his forgiveness. Turn from your life, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, and just go, Jesus, I don't know what's next, but I would rather not know what's next with you than know what's next with me that we could trust in him, because we can. A few things that we might be able to do just as we're trying to learn how to trust the spirit to be empowered witnesses to the world. First, pray for those in your life who don't know Jesus. Do you have a list of folks in your life who don't know the Lord? Could you write down two, three, four, five names of people in your life? Give your kids one line, because sometimes we can have like a bunch of kids, we're like, well, it's just always all, all, all my kids. I want your kids to know the Lord. But there's people all around you who need the Lord. Can you make that list? And if you have that list, do you regularly pray for those people? That you might be the Acts 1-8 witness to them. Pray for people in your life who don't know Jesus, that they might know him and you might share him. Another action is just to examine, to go to the Lord in prayer and go, God, are my priorities right? Or have I gotten too consumed with things that don't matter? Have I focused too much on things that are insignificant? Have I enjoyed things of this world much more than things of you? And so I can't really sing the things of this world will grow strangely dim because right now they shine so brightly. Ask him where your focus has been, perhaps where it needs to be. If you want even ways that you could engage on talking to people who don't know Jesus, 
from around the world. There are opportunities even here. So the guy who's back in the drum cage, not right now, that'd be kind of spooky if you, Matt Akers were by there the whole time. Matt oversees and helps get people mobilized to just talk to folks from other countries. Many, if not most of them, don't know Jesus. Because being a witness to the world is not about geography. It's not like, well, gosh, I have to go. I've got to travel to another country in order to do this. Because no, so often the nations are all around. And so it is just allowing the Spirit, trusting the Spirit, following the Spirit that is in you. The Spirit that desires to glorify Jesus, to to just yield Say, you want to make yourself known, Lord. I've gotten in the way too many times. So simple ways. Just start praying for people who don't know Jesus. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. And if you're just kind of ready to engage with folks, or you might even go, I don't really know anybody. Because that is something that we kind of get in the Bible belt. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. First, probably falls. Second, I get it. I get why you're saying that. So talk to Matt. Help me. Help me. Help me figure out how to... Talk to people about things that are significant. Help me. Because distractions are everywhere. But luckily for us, God has granted us his spirit and the spirit never gets distracted. So might we as Genesis be a people who are yielded, trusting, confident in what the spirit might do And just as a pastoral moment, I have been so blessed personally by Patrick and Jenny and all of you and the elders in my time here in just the basically two months that Courtney and I and our boys have been with you, that I have all the confidence in the world that God is alive and moving amongst us, that he desires and yearns to be known in spring and in Thailand and beyond, and that he is going to use us for those things. But we will get distracted. And that's why we need each other. Because you can't live this out alone. Even as you follow Paul, we'll get into Acts chapter 13 and through the end, he's always around other people, always. Now you're gonna get on your motorcycle and go head out and start talking to people about Jesus and do that the rest of your life. You will tire out if you have a motorcycle. You could have a car too. You will get exhausted because this is not meant to be lived out alone, but together. And we'll see next week when the Spirit comes upon the believers that what Jesus says in Acts 1-8 is already starting to be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 that our God can be trusted. So pray with me for that now. Father, we know, we know you are good and we know that you love us and we know that for all who have faith in Jesus, you have given us your spirit. So God, might you guide us? Might you grant us your grace? Might you 
Help us in these moments to trust you over our own strength, over our own desires, over our own distractions. And Lord, where those have entered in, might you forgive us. Lord God, we are yours. We together lift up our hearts and lift up this church to you and ask you, God, to do far beyond what we could expect far beyond what we could anticipate, far beyond what we could hope because you, Lord, sent your son to die for us and this local church and you have given us, God, great grace. May we follow you, trust in you, be witnesses for you, proclaim you over anything else. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.